and welcome to Notes from the Way. My name is Richard. This is a weekly podcast where we get together and talk about what it means to live out the Christian life here in the 21st century. Usually on the podcast, just in case you're new, which some of you I know are, we have a new story that I've picked out that's something interesting that has to do with how Christians relate to and connect to the culture around us. Sometimes it's how we uh, conflict with the culture around us. Then the second part of the podcast, we take a brief look at the scriptures to see something that God has uh, put on my heart. Hopefully it's something that will be encouraging and motivating to you. We do this podcast every week, and I really enjoy getting your uh, feedback here, getting comments and emails from you. So let me give you the contact information here. You can either find me at the blog for this podcast, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com, or you can just email me at nftw at sbcglobal.net. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you. Now let's jump right in and look at a story from the news. Okay, now from the news, I picked the story from the Associated Baptist Press. I will give a link to it on the blog here so you can read it. It's from Tuesday, October 21st. The title of the uh, story is Book Proposes Triage Amid Lukewarm Church Giving. Let me read a couple of paragraphs here for you. It's uh, dated out of, or datelined, I should say, out of Champaign, Illinois. It says Christians in the United States could engage every unreached people group around the world and stop up to two-thirds of child deaths for pennies a day if they only gave, according to a new book. The book is called The State of Church Giving through 2006. It is by John and Sylvia Ronsvale. Now, to read on from the story, it says, The authors say the U.S. church needs to change its self-centered indifference or risk separation from the larger body of Christ and marginalization from the culture. And there's some interesting numbers in here about how much we give and don't give. It says the giving as a percent of income has declined since the 1960s, and the, the portion spent beyond the local congregation has been declining steadily. Uh, the overall level of giving to international missions works between 2003 and 2006 was about two cents on each dollar. Uh, donate, each dollar donated to the church, and that compares to an average of eight cents per dollar that was spent on uh, overseas missions in the 1920s. So that's a big, big change. It says if members of the Christian churches in the U.S. had chosen to give 10% of their income in 2006 instead of the 2.5% they actually gave, it would have made an an additional $170 billion available for church work. According to this, there's almost 10 million children under five that die around the globe each year. And basically, we could uh, save those kids, or at least about two-thirds of those kids, with just a little bit more if the church was willing to give. And I think this is an interesting uh, article here. Like I said, I want you to read it. So go to the blog and uh, check out the link to the full story. But it's interesting to to note that uh, the average church members, and I understand that not everybody gives only through the church. I know personally I give more outside of the traditional church than I do inside. And I also know that not every church member is an actual believer, and I understand all those things. But the fact is that in America, we have so much, so many of us have so, so much, and we give so little compared to what we have and compared to what the need is. 
this is one way here that we can make a real difference in the world. I mean, we've all gotten caught up, or a lot of us at least have gotten caught up in the whole political uh, thing that's going on now with the election and uh, there's you know the republicans and the democrats and everybody's going to make a change and everybody's going to make things better but here's an opportunity the church has to really really make things better to really make a difference in the world for er for these kids and for people who have absolutely nothing and i see this as part of jesus's command to us and part of his uh, in encouragement to us to reach out to what he called the least of these in Matthew 25, where he talks about us clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and visiting the imprisoned and all those things to take care of the least of these. And I think that this is a real chance for us to do that. I mean, the, the fact that church members give 2.5% of their income on average is a real indictment of all of us, all of us that don't give what we should. And I'm not a big fan of saying that we have to tithe, that that 10% is a big, uh, is a, a law. I don't believe that's true for Christians. But there is, a, there are all, most of us, I should say, not all of us, but most of us have places in our lives where we could do with less, make do with less, and give more. So I wanted to encourage you, part of this uh, is to encourage you that if you have the resources to give more, even if it means doing without something. I mean, I read something not too long ago that says that Americans spend more on potato chips every year than Christians spend on foreign missions, uh, which is a staggering statistic to me, but we spend on stuff we don't even need. But the second thing is that we need to be wise. And this study from this, well, I can tell this book is talking about giving to local churches and what we give through local churches, and that's important. But we need to be wise in what we give. I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't believe that giving to any ministry, whether it's a local church or a missions organization, anything where they spend a lot of money on overhead, and by overhead I mean things like buildings and maintenance on buildings and staff, I don't think that's a great place to put your money. I'll be honest with you. I know a lot of churches fall into that category. A lot of churches, they spend over half of what's given on buildings, on maintenance, and on staff. And to me, well, that's more than half of your money is going to people right there in the church. Well, what's happening to the people in the community? Well, we'll give them whatever's left over. What's happening with the people overseas? Well, we'll give them whatever's left over. I'm not sure that's a good use of your money. So I think we need to be wise about what we're giving and where we're giving it. Because there's a lot of money that gets wasted, from my perspective at least, on things that we don't really need. Things that don't advance the kingdom. A newer, better, bigger building doesn't advance the kingdom necessarily, unless it's used all the time for outreach and for uh, giving meals, food, clothing to those that don't have things like that. For most churches, they're used only for services for church members, I guess you'd say, for the Christians, and they're used for schools and things like that. Not that those things aren't important. But if our goal is to win the culture, win the society, win the people around us for Christ, then we need to put all kinds of resources into that. So what I'm trying to say is that make sure that when you give your money, to give more, definitely, but to give wisely. Give it to ministries, give it to churches, give it to organizations that are spending a large chunk of that to actually reach out to people who need to be reached, rather than you know maintaining the buildings or the programs that we already have. That's just my way of thinking. Some people disagree. They think we need the big buildings. We need all those different things. I totally disagree with that. I think what we need are people reaching out to other people 
and meeting the needs of people who are really, really in need and do not have anything. So just want to encourage you to give, but to give wisely. Just read a story recently about a church in Korea that gives over 60% of its budget on missions. Now think about that. If your church was prioritized, how are they able to do it? They just made that their priority. Their priority was going to be spending on missions rather than on staff and buildings and other things. And they've been able to do it. They've been able to draw a lot of people who agree with that and who think that that is a great thing. And it can be done. It can be done here. It can be done with our churches here locally in this country and in all over the world. That same kind of thing can be done. So I just want to encourage you to give, give sacrificially, give up some things that you don't need so that you can give to the cause of the gospel, but to give wisely. Because to me, giving to the gospel is not giving to a building. It's not giving to a building program necessarily. It's not giving to new staff. It's giving to actually reach people and help people who need to be reached and helped with the gospel of Christ. Anyway, that's my thought. Do you have a question or comment or a rebuttal even? Let me know. Right now, let's jump in and see what God has for me and for us. Right now, let's jump in and see what God has for us in the scriptures. Okay, and as we look at the scripture today, I'm just going to read one verse out of 1 Peter. We've been going through 1 Peter for the last couple of weeks, and I'm really getting a lot out of it. It's a book that I, honestly, I haven't studied a lot over my lifetime, and I don't know why, because there's so much good stuff in there, so much to learn as a believer. So it's just one verse from 1 Peter chapter 1, and it's verse 13. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Really, I just want to pick out the first section there, the first little phrase where it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. That really struck me and really resonated with me because I am so convinced now, now more than ever in my life, that a lot of the problems that I have, a lot of the situations that I find myself into where I have problems either with sin or with doubt, or with fear, or any of those things that sometimes plague me as a believer. And if you haven't guessed by now, this is really going to be not so much for you as for me, because I'm just going to bear a little bit of what's been on my heart and what's going on in my life and my faith. It strikes me that a lot of the things that I've had trouble with in my life is because my thinking has been wrong. It's because I've had false thoughts about what's really going on in my life and especially with my relationship to God. So this phrase, prepare your minds for action, really stuck out to me because I believe that a lot of our troubles could be taken care of as far as our Christian life, as far as our faith, if we had our minds set in the right direction and on the right things. So I was lo looking at, these, at this verse and thinking about it, and I just came up with a few things that I believe sometimes, and I've really li lived my life sometimes as though they were true, but they're not. I don't know if this list will apply at all to you, but I know it applies to me and to my life, so I hope you'll bear with me. Maybe some of these will be things that you've thought for your life as well. Uh, some of the things that I think sometimes that aren't really true, well, number one, there's bad times are signs of God's displeasure. I don't know if you've ever thought that, but I have. Number two, I've got to work to get or to keep God's approval. 
Another one that I came up with was the idea that I need a pastor or a mentor, a guide, a guru of some sort to get me in touch with God. Another thing that I put on my list here is I can't do anything for God because I don't have any money or I don't have power. I don't have a position. I don't have any fame in the kingdom. Also, kind of a corollary to that is that I can't do anything for God because I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a leader uh, in a church in a spiritual leadership position. And so I was thinking about those things. I think there's five or six things there. And I was thinking about them. And those are things that have really come up in my life over and over again. Where either it's my own uh, faulty thinking or it's the devil trying to put these things in my head. I'm not sure where they come from. But I know that they're not true. So I was thinking, how do we set our minds on what's true? And for each one of those things, I mean, the Bible tells us that every one of the things I just listed are completely untrue. The first thing that... uh, Bad times are a sign of God's displeasure. Well, in First Peter, we just read a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, the bad times actually bring fruit. They prove our faith. They bring God glory when we're uh, faithful during trials. In Matthew chapter 5, it talks about persecution. It says that persecutions actually are, are times when God brings blessing and reward. And also, it's our, it, there's a future reward for believers who go through those things. Then number two, where it says that I've got to work to get or to keep God's approval. Well, you know, Romans 8.1 is always true. It's still true. It's been in the Bible ever since it was written. And it's still God's word. And he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, I don't have to do anything to get God's approval because he already approves of me. Simply because I'm his. In the same way that I approve of my children, that I love my children because they're mine even though they do some things sometimes that drive me insane. The next thing that I saw here was that I need a pastor or a mentor or somebody to to help me get in touch with God. And there's a couple of scriptures that talk about this and say, you know, one in Ephesians where it says that uh, we each have been given the Holy Spirit as the promise of God that he's going to complete his work in us. There's other scriptures that talk about us being complete in Christ and that God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. He hasn't left any of us as uh, stepchildren that we need to go to other members of the family. We do go to other members of the family of God, but it's for encouragement, it's for enlightenment, it's for instruction. It's not to gain access to God, because each of us have that. The idea that we can't do anything for God, that's not true either. God has chosen, it says in 1 Corinthians, that God chose the weak, foolish things of the world to bring his glory, to bring him glory, because that way we don't get the credit for it. He gets the credit for doing great things through simple people. The whole idea that you can't do anything if you're not a pastor or a missionary, the same idea. It's not based on your position. It's based on his power to work through us and in us. You know, the Bible says we're God's workmanship created for good works but the God's at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure so I just wanted to encourage you some of these things that maybe you maybe you could come up with your own list of stuff that gets in your head that you're thinking of that isn't really true I know if I had really sat down and and taken you know a couple of hours I probably could have listed two three four dozen things that go through my brain uh, that aren't true at all But the important thing to remember is that we have a source for truth. Two things really struck me here is that one, truth is found in a person. 
which is Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the truth of God is, you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God really thinks about you or how God really responds in situations of trouble or anguish or hard times, any of those things, we need to look to Jesus. Second thing is that we have a record that God has given us that is truth. You know, the Psalm says, thy word is truth. And, you know, if we ignore the scripture, and I'm not talking about reading the Bible as a uh, discipline even, or as a, a means of uh, grace or a means of uh, you know making God do something, saying, hey, God, I've read my Bible for the last six weeks without a miss. I've read eight chapters a day. You've got to do something for me. That doesn't work. But if you want to know who God is, if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know how he relates, how God relates to his people, you've got to read the scriptures. You've got to know those things. You've got to know those things that have been written. And that's one way that God reveals himself to you. So I just want to leave you with this. There's a lot of things that get in our head and they're kind of just planted in there and they're hard to get out. But God has given us the record of who Jesus is. He gives us the Holy Spirit and he's given us his word so that we can learn what's true and start filling our mind with the truth instead of the lies that get planted in there by the devil and by our upbringing, by all kinds of things. If you've got any of these false thoughts, and I think all of us do, look to the truth. Prepare your minds. This is a long journey. Prepare your minds for action by looking at the truth of what God has done for us, who he is, what he's made us through the death of Christ, Look to the truth of all those things instead of to the lies and to the falsehoods that get planted in our brains. Well, I hope this has been encouraging for you. It always is for me to have a chance to share what's going on in my heart and my mind. If you want to get in touch with me, the email address is nftw at sbcglobal.net. The blog that goes with this podcast is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com. Always enjoy hearing from you, comments, questions, whatever you have. Until next time, God bless.